Good morning. If there ever was a time for experiencing deja vu, it's now. I feel as though I've been here before and I've done this before. <laughs> but I'm so thankful for the privilege and opportunity of being able to share the Word of God with you this morning, especially looking at the passage that we'll be looking at in just a few moments. Now remember when Jesus was here on earth, his disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. He responded and what resulted is what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer, but is more appropriately called, I believe, the Disciples' Prayer. But Jesus taught quite a bit more concerning prayer. For instance, he gave such instructions as, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. Don't pray long. Now, he didn't say don't preach long, but he said don't pray long. <laughs> don't pray long and don't use flowery speech. When you pray, don't be praying to be heard of men and women, but pray to be heard God. And he also said that don't be afraid to continue to pray for needs because God is a just judge and he will get out of bed no matter what to hear and answer the prayer of his people. So we have a lot of instructions from Jesus Christ when he was on earth concerning how we ought to pray. But I believe that his greatest and most meaningful and impactful lesson on prayer is what he modeled himself on the cross. And specifically, as we have described for us in Psalm 23, or rather Psalm 22, through the experience of David. Now, to say that Psalm 22 is a complex psalm would be an understatement to say the least. Probably all of you know how Psalm 22 opens, don't you? How does Psalm 22 open? Great, how does it end? Hardly anyone knows. It's amazing how much of Psalm 22 we know and yet know so little about what it teaches. We're going to be trying to help us to overcome this handicap this morning. I believe that the message on prayer is actually summarized in the passage itself. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 22. And I'm praying that God will really use this to touch your heart today. And verse 24, I believe this is the theme of the Psalm. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Now this is almost a contrast to verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why haven't you responded to my prayer? But now he's saying here, when he cried to him, he heard. And this is the passage that we want to look at this morning. The New International, or rather the New Living Translation, describes the verse in this way. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. 
That is the message of Psalm 22, and not, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's amazing how we have missed this tremendous message on prayer as modeled by Jesus Christ himself in this psalm. In spite of his feelings of being forsaken by God and by man, and despite his terrible sufferings at the hands of his enemies, David kept praying in faith right down to the last moment, and ultimately he found that God had heard his cries and in fact answered them as well. This is why I call this the true prayer of faith. Jesus teaches us that we should continue to persevere in prayer even when it appears as though God is not listening and that we are at the end of our rope. Jesus is teaching us on the cross we should continue to pray and we should continue to have faith in God even though it seems useless or hopeless, we should still continue to pray. Now, the messianic and prophetic aspect of the psalm underlines this theme by showing that Jesus Christ became the ultimate example of this kind of faith. And under similar circumstances, Jesus was at the end of his rope. And he was praying night and day, crying out to God, but it appeared that though God did not hear him. But I'm going to focus not on the prophetic aspect too much today. I'm going to focus rather on the historical aspect of the message and on David rather than Jesus, although we will tie them together. Lord willing, I will develop the prophetic aspect of the message in another message. So let's look at Psalm 22. Let's look at the divisions. First of all, in the first 10 verses, we have... David's introduction to his situation. Now in these remarks, in the midst of his dire situation, which is nearing death for him, he is going to describe in detail later on in the psalm exactly what these, these, this suffering is. But right here, David deals with his doubts about God's care for him by reflecting upon God's faithfulness to his forefathers as well as to himself. So let's look at verse one, verses 1 and 2 first. And again, this is in the context of since God apparently did not respond to his continual pleas for help, David asked God why he had forsaken him. Notice the verses. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now, I know we always focus upon Jesus Christ when we read this. We'll do this on the 10th, Lord willing. I want you to focus upon David, because this is an actual experience, historical experience and event that David is having. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent. Have you ever experienced that? You've been in a situation... Either you or your loved one has an illness, there's a lot of pain involved, and you're praying, Lord, heal them. Lord, restore them. And you're praying day and night, but they seem to be getting worse. God does not seem to hear your prayer. Heaven is as brass. You are praying, but there's no response at all. Or perhaps it's in the business, and I've experienced this many times in my own business life. 
praying that I would be able to meet payroll at the end of the week. Have people who are waiting to be paid so their families can be taken care of. But there's no money. In fact, the bank has said, if you don't come in today and pay off your overdraft, you're done. And I'm praying, Lord, I need this money now. And it's Friday evening. The payroll has to be met Saturday morning. Things that go, God is not going to answer. It could be something else. It could be a relationship. It could be that you might lose your mortgage if you don't meet a payment. You could lose your car. It could have something to do with your health. It's been going on for so long. Year after year, you've been praying and nothing seems to happen. God is not answering your prayer. That's David's experience. I just had this past week two individuals who called up in this situation. One of them says, Pastor I've been working with this for year and year and just seemed to be no relief. God is not listening to me anymore. The other one said, I'm ready to take my life. Away with the Bible, away with Jesus Christ. He's not answering, he's not responding at all. This is David's experience. He feels as though God has abandoned him. Have you ever felt that? If you have, you'll know what David is experiencing here. But then David acknowledges that God is holy and never has betrayed his forefathers who trusted him in the past. In other words, David goes between an up and a down, an upper and a lower, as it were. One time he's feeling good, the other time he's feeling bad. This is what's happening here. The first two verses, he's low. But now in verse 3, he starts to get a little help. He starts to reflect upon the character of God. God is holy. God is a God who is to be worshipped. He's the one that Israel has been worshipping all through their history. He inhabits their praise. He is the one to be honored and to be respected. And he goes on, he says, notice what he says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabited the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. And anyway, he says, God, I know who you are. You are a faithful God. You have answered the prayer of my forefathers for years, all through their histories. When they cried to you for deliverance, you responded. You answered them. You are a good God, a holy God. I know that you are a God to be worshipped, to be praised and to be honored. But in the deep down inside, he says, but what about me? You treated them so well, what's happening to me? That's the experience he has now. Have you felt that way? Many times you've been praying so long, so hard, for this important thing, but God is not answering, is not responding to your prayer. And you say, as though God has no concern for you anymore. He's pushed you aside. He just isn't listening to you. That's where David is now. In fact, David feels that God has overlooked him, even though he has a part of this rich heritage, being a part of the people of God. He actually feels as a subhuman, as it were, because people will begin mocking him for trusting in God. They will begin mocking him for his faith in God. Notice what the verse says in verse 6. I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. See, because God isn't answering his prayer, 
he feels that God has no regard for him as well, at all. God took care of my forefathers, why don't you take care of me? Am I not just as good as they are? Don't you love me as much as you love them? Am I such a person that you will, am I a worm in your sight, not even a human? Do you know that some of the hymn books have taken this word out of the song about, how'd that song go on and on? Uh, Such a worm as I. They said we shouldn't be talking about ourselves as being worms in such a way. But Jesus, Jesus on the cross looked at himself as almost subhuman. Now if we have time on the 10th, we're going to look at the meaning of that word worm. And it's amazing what the meaning has. It reflects the idea of red and blood. But we won't go into that right now. But he felt as though he was subhuman in the sight of God. Because God hadn't heard him. God hadn't responded to his cry. God seemed to have pushed him aside. Have no care for him anymore. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. In other words, the people now, whom David always witnessed to, and testified to, that God was his God, and God was his faithful God, and that God would take care of him. But all of a sudden now, these people are mocking him. This is what you say, where is your God? You said he cares for you. Why is he treating you like this? Why is he allowing your enemies to overcome you? Why is he allowing that sickness to take you or your loved one? Why is he allowing your home to be taken away? Your car to be taken away? Why is he allowing all of these tragedies in my life? Doesn't he care for me? Now even those that you profess to be a Christian before are laughing at you and mocking you. Like one of the ladies told me that I was speaking with the other day, who felt like she was ready to take a life. He said, away with the Bible, away with Jesus, they don't mean anything anymore. She was at her rope's end, as it were. That's exactly where David was. That's where Jesus was on the cross. And that's the truth. This is the passage, this passage is telling us. In spite of this, though, David pointed out to God that he had been David's God since birth. In other words, God now reminds God in verses 9 and 10 that he trusted him all his life. He says, God, I have been trusting you all my life. I've been following your word. Yeah, of course, there's slip-ups, but Lord, I'm a man after your heart. I desire to please you, to honor you. I have trusted you all my life. Look at verse 9. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Many of you say that. I've been a Christian all my life. I believe the Bible. I've been trying to follow the Bible all my life. I've been living a committed Christian life all the while. Why is God so far from me in time of need and trouble? Why has my husband left me? My wife left me? Why have they been unfaithful? 
Why are my children so disobedient? Why are they being involved in drugs and immorality and all of these things? What's going on? God, why are you allowing this? Why do I have this illness? Why do I have cancer? Why do I have this? Why do I have that? God, why don't you hear my prayer and heal me and give me a perfect, healthy life? And that's what you're praying for. You feel as though if he doesn't answer your prayer tonight, tomorrow you will not be here. Everything will be finished. You're at the end of your rope. That's what David's experiencing here. And he's reminding God who seems so far away, I've been trusting you all my life. Why are you treating me like this? But then David goes now into his petition again. This is where we have a major break in the psalm. Not the major one, but a major one. In verses 11 to 21. In this section, David keeps asking God for deliverance from his trials until he gets an answer. In other words, David keeps praying. And in this section, the section that we normally don't look at, David gets an answer. But let's look at the introductory petition because David asks God now to be close to him because he was in trouble and he had no one to help him. Verse 11, do not stay so far from me for trouble is near. What is near to David? Trouble. No one else can help me. He's saying to God, God, something is near to me, but it isn't you. Trouble is near, but you're far away. That's what he's saying here. In other words, now he's turned the question in verse 1 into a prayer. He turns the question of verse 1 into a prayer. He wants God to be close to him. Notice, he isn't asking in this petition for God to take away the pain and the sufferings, whatever it is. He's not asking for deliverance from pain. He's asking for God's presence. That's what he wants here. He wants God's presence. He says, do not stay far away from me. No one can help me. He wants God to be close to him. Isn't that your desire as well? And in fact, that's what you do. You go closer to God and sometimes you say, God, I've been trying. I'm getting closer and closer to you. But why does it seem that though you're getting further and further away? The closer I get to you, it seems the more problems come to me. That's the way it seems. And you have a feeling that God is rejecting you, that God is turning away from you. David wanted to feel the presence of God in his desperate in his desperate condition. In other words, he's saying, God, even if these things continue, if I can feel that you are next to me, that'll be okay. If I can feel that you're close to me, that you are with me, that you are going with me through these situations, that's okay. I only want to feel your presence. See, David is on the high now. Now he's coming back to the pain and all of that. But right now his heart is telling him, all I want to do is experience the closeness of God. And let me say to you, that is one of the things we must seek to do when we go through trials and difficulties. Not to get far away from the problems, but to get closer to God. And when we have a sense of his nearness, his closeness, no matter what problems may be, we're going to be able to overcome them as David did. That's what this psalm is teaching us. Then he goes on to describe his enemies now. His enemies surround him 
like ravenous animals. Look at verses 12 and 13. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. This is really graphic here. And when we talk about how it applies to Jesus, you just see how terrible this is. But I want you to realize now, David is going through this right now himself. Now, we don't know the exact experience. We don't know the exact historical time it took place. But we do know it happened to David. He's going through something that's right at the point of death. He's ready to die. And he's crying out to God to be near him and to deliver him from death. And he describes his sufferings a little bit more in verses 14 and 15. My life is poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, melting within me. My strength has dried up like a sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. That's how he felt. Of course, when we apply this to Jesus, you're going to see how Jesus himself is experiencing the very same things. That's why as we go through this psalm, we have to realize that David goes beyond his own experience to look ahead to the experience of Jesus Christ himself. But David, nonetheless, is going through some of these experiences, and that's the lesson for us today. David is describing both emotional and physical suffering by evil men who acted like wild beasts. Now, we have time next time we're going to talk about who these wild beasts were and why they seem so strong. But we won't look at that today. But then he goes on to verses 16 and 18, where he describes his helplessness as he was being mistreated by his enemies. He says, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is where we know for sure that he goes beyond his own experience to that of Jesus Christ. Because he's describing crucifixion here, and crucifixion was not in vogue at this time. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and they gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. As I say, this is a definite indication that David goes beyond his own experience to that of Jesus Christ. But we'll look at that later on. But then he goes into verses 19 to 21 now, and this is the major turning point in the psalm. David again makes a primary plea, and he asks God once more to deliver him. But this time, God answers him. Listen to verse 19. O Lord, do not stay far away. That's his plea. But notice now, you are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. Now, in this version, and another one I'll read in a moment, it appears that David is praying again for God to deliver him and to save him, to snatch him from the lion's jaws. But this is where this problem comes in. This passage is being mistranslated by some versions. Because in verse 21, God actually answers him. Uh, let me read it for you. 
This is what the NIV reads. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Verse 21. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now notice that is still a plea. That is a cry. That is a prayer. However, the more accurate translation reads it as a statement. And this is how it should go. Listen to the King James Version and the correct on this one. Save me from the lion's mouth, verse 21. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Notice that. Thou hast heard me. It's a statement. God has answered. This is not a plea any longer. Something has happened between verse 20 and verse 21. This is what the New English translation says. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Notice again. You have answered me. It's a statement. It is not a prayer any longer. The American Standard Version says the same thing. Save me from the lion's mouth. Yea, from the horns of the wild oxen thou hast answered me. Notice again. Thou hast answered me. Again, I say this is the turning point of the psalm, where David's prayer is answered. David's God has responded. David knows now that God has not abandoned him. God has not left him. God has not forsaken him. God has, in fact, answered him. You have heard me. You finally responded to my prayer. And in David's case, it's right at the nick of time. Right in the nick of time. And so David, after much intense prayer, received his answer from God. And he feels the presence of God. And the implication here is that he has been delivered from death at the last possible moment. Just when he thought all was lost, God stepped in at his time. And he did it in his way. You see, the point with us, when we get into problems and trials, we want God to take us out of them right away. Isn't that right? We never pray, Lord, give me strength to hold up under this situation. But we say, Lord, get me out of here. That's not what David is praying here. David wanted to feel the presence of God, and that's what he feels now. And he knows that God has answered him. Now, there's no doubt here that David goes beyond his own experience, because from this point on, David focuses on praise. His despair is turned into praise from this point on. But for some reason, when we study this psalm, we don't look at the praise part. We only look at the, why have you forsaken me part? We don't look at the part where God says, hey, I'm here. I've answered your prayer. I've saved you when I wanted to do it. And I have saved you in my way, in my time. That's the important lesson here. We're going to see that's also true with Jesus Christ. All right? Now, here is the emphasis and point of the practical aspect of this psalm. But it's the profound truth that is taught from the, from the historical experience of David. And that's what I want to emphasize as we close. Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, yes, Jesus is David's anti-type or prophetic template. In other words, David is portraying picturing for us the experiences of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. The point we need to remember here, though, is Jesus is therefore the ultimate example 
of trusting God in the face of severe and apparent hopeless situations. Because there was anyone who seemed to have been facing a hopeless situation, it was Jesus Christ on the cross. And so what David is doing here through the Holy Spirit is putting up Jesus as a model for us for our praying in desperate situations. He's telling us that we should continue to pray and trust God for deliverance in our own times of troubles, regardless of how hopeless and desperate these times seem to us. Jesus is our model. If you want a model for persevering prayer, it is Jesus Christ on the cross. David is teaching us that here. We need to pray through faith, no matter how desperate the situation. God is there with us in the midst of the pain and suffering, waiting for just the right time to act and to bring deliverance in a way we never dreamt or imagined. You see, many times when we pray to get out of the trouble, we have in our minds the way we want God to do it. God, I need this money to make the payroll, to make my mortgage, and here's how I want you to do it. Give me a big job right now and let the man pay cash in advance. You see? Or let somebody in the bank have mercy on me and extend my overdraft or something. In other words, we come in and put in our mind the way we want God to do it now. But God says, no, no, no. You have to wait on me. Let me deliver you in my way and in my time. That's where faith comes in. That's where the prayer of faith comes in. In Jesus' case, as we'll see, instead of being rescued when he asked to be rescued, God did not save him from the experience of death, but rather he saved him through the experience by raising him from the dead. And in doing so, he destroyed the power of death. He put death to death when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, he answered Jesus' prayer in a way that far exceeded what Jesus wanted or seemed to have desired to be delivered from death. God says, no, you're going to go through that, but I'm with you and I'll raise you again. And when I do that, I will put to death the death that took your life. This is what happens with us at many times. Many times, rather than raising that sick loved one that we wanted to be raised up, who's going through so much pain because of a certain type of illness and their suffering, Rather than raising that person up so they can continue to suffer and to make you suffer, God takes them home. And that's far better than being there and being delivered on earth. That's the same thing that happened with Jesus. Jesus was delivered, but his rejoicing, as you see at the end of the psalm, comes in heaven. Paul, rather David, talks about praising God in the congregation and amongst his brethren. That's what Jesus is doing. He calls us brothers now because of the resurrection. I want you to do an interesting Bible study. When did Jesus first call his disciples brothers? He didn't do it all through his ministry, right up to the cross. You know when he first called his disciples brothers? After he was raised from the dead. That's very meaningful when we come here about declaring his praise amongst the brethren and so on. We are now the brothers of Jesus Christ. He is our big brother. But that was only possible if he had gone through death and be resurrected by the Father. If God had delivered him from death, we would not be the brothers of Jesus Christ, according to this psalm, as we'll see as we go on. 
But now, David now praises God. As you read the verses, we don't, we're not going to go through that path because that's a different emphasis. But the rest of the passage has to do with David praising God. And he praises God because God had heard his cry, had heard his prayer. And for him, the recognition of an answer and the opportunity to praise God came while he was still living on earth. But this psalm teaches that sometimes, as with David's anti-type Jesus Christ, God's timing and procedure will mean that man's opportunity to praise will occur only in the life to come. Believers are sometimes called on to trust God, that God has heard them even though it seems if he is so silent. Their peace is that he is not limited to earthly times and earthly solution. But we're going to look at that another time to show that sometimes God really waits to answer our prayer at a later time in a different way, as he did with Jesus Christ. So let me conclude then with the application here with regards to our prayer life. Despite David's feelings of being forsaken by God and man, David drew encouragement from God's past record and faithfulness toward those who trusted him in the past and who called upon him for help through persistent prayer. This is what we must do as well. We must do this when we feel as though God has abandoned us and not answered our prayer. Remember that in the past he has answered your prayer. Remember that in the past he has answered the prayer of your loved one. Remember that God is a holy God. He is a God who wants to be near to you. We too must continue to pray in faith in a faithful God, regardless of how desperate or dire our situation may be. This is the most important lesson from this psalm. And Jesus teaches us this. He is the one who is prophetically focused upon in the psalm. Jesus is the prime example of this kind of persevering faith. Jesus models for us the true prayer of faith on the cross. The lesson comes through clearly that God hears the prayers of the faithful and answers according to his own perfect plan. In fact, if you look at the psalm that Anton read this morning, Psalm 34, it's almost an exposition of Psalm 22. God hears the cry, the prayer of the righteous. He does not abandon, he does not leave them alone. In Jesus' case, however, God's answer took a totally unexpected form. Instead of being rescued, he was resurrected. And instead of sparing Jesus' life alone, God purchased through his death a glorious resurrection to renew life for all who trust in him today. In a similar way to Jesus, God answers to our prayer may not be understood by us until we enter the new life to come. But then all of our sorrows will be swallowed up in the joy of being in his presence and the recognition of his dealing with us in his perfect wisdom. We're going to look back upon all the problems, the trial, the difficulties, the pain, the illness, the sickness, and say God was a holy God. He was a wise God in allowing us to go through it. That is Jesus' lesson for us on prayer from the cross today. We are to pray the prayer of faith as he did. Pray in faith to a faithful God, regardless of how desperate our situation may be. He will answer. 
he will draw near to you. He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. He will hear and answer your prayer. And Jesus is our model. Amen?